there's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to kind of say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Okay. Hello and welcome to the Your Politics podcast from RTE News. This week brought a crisis point in the refugee accommodation, another mortgage rate hike today and a looming deadline in Northern Ireland. To discuss the politics of the week, I'm joined by our political correspondents, Paul Cunningham and Michal Lahan. So first, some good news for some, maybe for you, Michal, the, the nightclub's going to stay open until six. Yeah, but no drink after five, but you can dance until six. So that's the, the key distinction. Oh, there. yeah. OK. So it's kind of the opposite of the rule in Leinster House where the doll bar has to stay open for an hour after the sitting ends. This time the bar closes an hour before the dancing ends. OK, duly noted. Yeah, Paul, is this going to have a big uh, impact in your life, absolutely. say, next year? Absolutely, um, because my 20-year-old daughter is absolutely delighted that she's going to be able to um, rip it up all the way into the early hours. I don't think the big difference is, though, just having a chat with her, because I'm ancient, um, was that the number of clubs that I was able to go to was immense. There were clubs all over the place. Um, you know, South Anne Street alone had two. Um, down off Grafton Street there was another if you went on to Dame Street and they were rocking on until four if you wanted completely illegally but I mean you could stay out all you wanted The 50s as well like. <laughs> Same thing I mean these lot have actually got a deprived childhood so you're going to have this fantastic offer that they can stay out but guess what they can't stay out because the number of places that are going to be open is so few and far between and and you know, there is that issue of, A, where are they going to get the staff? Mm-hmm. How much are they going to pay them? How are they going to get these people home? And is it just going to be a Dublin-centric thing or a Cork-centric thing? But if you happen to be having these late hours, um, are there going to be little minibuses if you happen to be in Tullamore? Or is this something you're going to feel once again deprived of? So there's loads of issues with it, but ultimately I think it's great. Let's get that European model in and more of it, please. There seems to be some thought around that, though, given that there are these nine towns uh, that include places like uh, Buncrana. Uh, it will be the smallest town, I think. And then there's others like Longford and Sligo as well. So these are going to be the places where they're going to pilot all this stuff first. They're going to throw a bit of money at things like soundproofing as well. And they will be advisors appointed for the nighttime economy, essentially to kind of mediate all these types of changes. So it'll be interesting to see how it does go. That point uh, isn't just confined to cities, though, about clubs closing. I think there there are large parts of many counties now and small towns that had clubs uh, that don't have them at all now. And as well as that, you see the changes to the bar opening hours standardised until half 12 every night, seven nights a week. But the amount of bars that don't open uh, in many towns up and down the country several days of the week now, whether that's to do with staff or energy costs, uh, those stories are becoming more and more numerous. I mean, I remember one time, and this is sort of, once again, back into the midst of time, um, this is in relation of enforcement. Um, I was staying in a friend's apartment in the city centre and um, remember we sort of three o'clock in the morning, everyone sort of flaked out. And I woke up at around 10 o'clock in the morning, I could hear this thump, 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 clubs beat banging out. And I was Sunday, I was going, my God, like this, I have to go and see this. So toddled downstairs, went sort of two doors down and there was a DJ in a club just playing for himself. Full whack, full volume, no one in the place. So um, it'll be just fascinating to see, given we keep hearing that there's more regard the E coming on stream, but they're going to be dealing with sort of serious issues. How are you going to deal with enforcement? And if you don't deal with it right, as you said, either through soundproofing or making sure that the clientele are being nice when they're leaving, you could end up having a ructions and um, 
little pilot studies not becoming yeah. and this has there is another problem too it's, in, it's, it's not directly related but it could be relevant if, if you were leaving a bar and you were hungry Paddy Burke told the Shannon recently you cannot get a sandwich in most reasonable sized Irish towns after four o'clock in the evening no no it's burritos it's only burritos just, just can't get it Chippers, get it. So that's until things that, like that, that are that, sorted. That is a difficulty. Yeah. Um, realistically, this has to go through the doll in terms of legislation. Well, yeah. Certainly not a Christmas thing. So when, when will it happen? When will we all be heading to the clubs? Well, I think Helen McEntee brought it to Cabinet and I think Helen McEntee will, will probably be going on maternity leave at some point in the not too distant future. So this is a key part of legislation. If she continues in the role of justice, we'd expect that she probably will. It would be likely a reshuffle in December. Yeah, it yeah. would be likely be when I think when she returns that it would be enacted. So probably the middle of the year, maybe okay. next year, okay. summertime. So on a more serious note, uh, on the the refugee accommodation, we've been talking about it all week. The government has been on the defensive all this week in terms of its response to housing refugees as the beds ran out. And on Tuesday, tempers really frayed in the doll, as we can hear now. Not content with denying our own people the right to an affordable, secure roof over their heads. You now extend your catastrophic failure to those coming to Ireland seeking humanitarian assistance. You know, you used the comment, we can't do our own as well, you said. And I know what that's targeted for. I know why that phrase was used. You used that phrase at the beginning of your remarks, and I know why you used it, and I know who it was targeted for. You're playing both sides on this debate, Deputy, and I regret that you are. So Michal, I think it's pretty clear what the Taoiseach was getting at here. He's accusing Sinn Féin of dog whistle politics. What did you make of it all? Yeah, I, I, I think it may have been just the two issues being intertwined, the, the homelessness situation generally, and then the crisis for government around providing emergency accommodation for people arriving from Ukraine. Uh, that wasn't done very well, and there was a certain clumsy feel about it all. They're always going to be because they're... They are linked, but they're distinct issues in their own right, too. Um, if what the Taoiseach alleges is the case, well, then that's a very dangerous departure for Irish politics. Uh, and it's something that Sinn Féin, uh, in the context of the Dáil and contributions in the Dáil that we wouldn't have seen before. Uh, the party rejects the the allegation that he made. And also, uh, the next day, you could see that things uh, were de-escalated fairly quickly. We didn't see those type of exchanges repeated. Interestingly, too, Parik McLaughlin speaking in the chamber about the mic issue that the following day uh, spoke about solutions being available for all people, for people coming from Ukraine, for people who are homeless here. And he said it's failing to provide them that will pit people against each other. But of course, that is the great fear. And if political debate is contributing to that, and there are some in the chamber this week who took a very direct line asking about services and services being squeezed in parts of Ireland, uh, Danny Healy Ray, namely, as a result of the numbers of people that are coming from Ukraine. Well, that's worrying. It's worrying about the consequences could be for debate and the consequences on the ground. I mean, that's something that Carol Nolan, the independent TD from Offaly, would have also raised over the previous months. And I, I wonder to a certain extent um, how much of that comes back to the government's um, uh, abilities in this one. They have spoke about the high principle um, that they must um, assist and look after people who are fleeing Ukraine as a result of the Russian invasion, Russian aggression. And yet at the same time, they're being questioned about, well, nuts and bolts level, what are you going to do? I mean, in this podcast ourselves, we've been asking, you know, clearly accommodate, I think it was only two weeks ago, accommodation crisis is hitting critical points. They're not going to have enough places very shortly. What are they going to be able to do? And one of the things we were saying was the government had to communicate 
if you're going to take on this responsibility, we know it's a, a legal obligation. And legal and moral, the Taoiseach said. Yeah. Legal and moral. But then I think there's a, there's a consequence to that. You have to really be giving those updates saying, this is where we are now. Um, because people don't know, for example, where we are in relation to modular homes. People don't know what's happened in relation to the barracks and why weren't they sort of positioned and ready and if yeah, we reach this point. One of the complaints point. is about a lack of consultation yeah. locally. And, and to be fair to all the parties, we've also heard comments from, there's a Fianna Fáil councillor in Donegal, Liam Blaney, who's made comments around this, and a Fine Gael councillor in uh, Clare Morris, Tom Connolly. But on the substantive issue, uh, Micheál, uh, the government's really under pressure here. Are we seeing any better solutions? Uh, and NGOs have been calling for more kind of a medium and long-term solution rather than just this emergency mode. Yeah, you can see the push towards a more medium-term solution. I think that's what the discussions on Monday night were about, kind of looking to hotels and, and, may, and not offering as much in hotels for whatever the reason for that. I think the official reason, at least, is that it's trying to encourage people to move on to other places to stay. Uh, that that hasn't always happened even when they've become available uh, because the location might be inconvenient uh, and of course there would be a food cost if, if you have to go and move to a house so therefore it looks like the government to go and make a decision that all future hotel contracts and most of them will kick in in January won't include food for people who are arriving here from Ukraine that's a significant change so I think you can see too that a lot of Store is being placed in local authority buildings, about 200 of them, which government expect can be refurbished fairly quickly. But just how quickly that that will provide a lot of accommodation. And then the barracks question doesn't seem entirely clear. Yes, definitely for putting modular homes on the grounds around former barracks. Uh, but just how quickly dorms can be done up and where the people can be found to do that work, of course, is another uh, problem for government. Uh, it's just not quite clear how quickly things can be delivered. So what you have really this week is a very clear message that that guarantee of immediate accommodation, that's, that's gone now. But at the same time, no one is going to be turned away. It's just they may have to, it's, it's unclear where they will stay while they're waiting for somewhere. And that's it. It's unclear. And I think clarity is required if we are effectively sort of on a war footing, um, not in the context of a conflict being here, but having to deal with the crisis then you have to be able to set out targets. And even if those targets aren't met, being able to explain why and how you anticipate overcoming it, I think that type of level of communication. Um, and yet at the same time, the person with the ultimate responsibility for it um, in, in ministerial terms is Roger Gorman, who has got a plethora of other issues. He's been standing um, in the Doyle talking about mother and baby homes and a huge issue with an awful lot of amendments being sold by the opposition. And yet he is the line minister for that huge issue. So I think they have to clear the line somehow, and I think that would benefit everyone. Hard to know how, they, how they'll do that, though, isn't it? I mean, it, it seems that you have a particular point in the crisis now. We were here about six or seven weeks ago, and some accommodation was found to get through that period. There also was a point not too long ago where people were beginning to return mm. uh, to Ukraine. Uh, and I suppose somewhere along the line, there's no doubt about it, decisions, particularly around modular housing, seems to have been delayed. As, as someone decided that they weren't fully happy uh, with, with what was being planned there. So this, a sense of urgency dissipated and there was a, there was a move to try and get it right and, and proceed more slowly. But of course, that's, that's all out the window now and things have to happen quickly. Um, moving on to mortgages, we're seeing another 0.75% uh, interest rate hike today. It's going straight on to tracker mortgage holders and they really seem to be bearing the brunt of it. 
uh, of this so far. Sinn Féin's Piers Doherty talking about mortgage interest relief for them today in the Dáil. Did he get anywhere with it? But he had two effective arguments. One was that the government has had mortgage interest relief and projects before and it could introduce another one here for people on trackers who, as you say, are, are really feeling the pain. And he said it could be time-tied, it could be targeted. In other words, this wouldn't be a blanket guarantee. But the second line of attack was that the banks have recovered their profitability. According to the central bank itself, which has responsibility for Ireland's banks, it's being bolstered. That was the word that was used, bolstered, by the increase in interest rates. And uh, it was Pierce Doherty, Sinn Féin's finance spokesperson, who put a figure on it. He said, one billion euro in profits in the first six months with likely to make the same again in the next six months. So his argument was these banks can take the cost um, and bear the cost rather than it being pushed onto people who are on tracker mortgages who are already frazzled in relation to their budgets and this is going to eviscerate them because we anticipate more cuts to follow through. Liv Radker did two things. The first thing he did was to re- sort of focus people's attention on the role of the European Central Bank, which was setting the rates, and said what he was trying to do was deal with inflation and ensure that there was price security, because that would be of benefit to everyone if that move is, is successful. And then secondly, came back to the actual ideas being put forward by Pierce Doherty. He said that what Mr. Doherty hadn't mentioned was the fact that when you have these interest rates, we're also, it's more complicated than just focusing on trackers because on the other hand we're also asking those self-same financial institutions to give cheaper loans to first-time buyers. We also have to take account of people who have money on deposit. Um, higher interest rate means they get a, a better return. And then he really went for it and said What this, did he call him, Paul? What did he call him? Uh, <laughs> I got there before. Yeah. <laughs> so basically then went for it was talking about this was populist politics um, and he used the, the the reference he called him quasi Doherty, which was a reference to the former not very long standing UK Chancellor and saying that he hadn't learned anything from what happened over in the UK. Quasi Quartang is not going to be fondly remembered for his handling of the economy let's be honest. And Mr Fradker was rather redroit in so far as that he said it in reply to Pierce Doherty's second question so Mr Doherty wasn't able to come oh, back at him. Oh deliberate you think? No doubt I think it was uh, my colleague here Michal Mahan described it as a training ground manoeuvre yeah, one that training ground move definitely well <laughs> worked. Well yeah, yeah. yeah. So you, you yeah. hit them Land in your second right answer. Time. Yes. Yeah. Okay. They can't come back. Actually, Michal Martin did that with Mary Lou McDonald earlier as well. Uh, mm. The the previous clip we played because she put that offending piece as he saw it into his her first question. He waited until the second answer to come back. So yeah, it could be right, Michal. It seems. Yeah, it, it does. It definitely was worked out today. Anyway, wasn't yeah. it? That, mm. that was clear. Uh, even though all. Generally, though, the tone and the exchange wasn't quite as no, and, abrasive. Uh, no, as Pierre Starty certainly these. wasn't. And he was putting the, you know, trying to sort of argue the point, you have opportunity to try and do something. And in the main, except for those last sort of 60 seconds, Leo Varadkar was responding in kind, saying, I know um, tracker mortgage holders are on, in difficulty, but there has been a historic low level of interest rates and they've benefited from that. And now as it moves back to more normal levels, um, you know, to a certain extent, there was a yin and a yang on this. It isn't just one simple thing that people on trackers are being hurt hard. They were benefiting in the years heretofore. But yeah, it ended up with a bang. All right. Who would have thought that the, the Tory template would be used uh, as a point of criticism for Sinn Féin now? Because that's essentially what it was. Leo Varadkar saying he's, he's changed his view. He thought Sinn Féin would wreck the economy in two years. Now he says one budget <laughs> could do it. So one budget is, is now the, the new political norm for uh, Although catastrophe. Have to say, I think there's 15... Um, conservative parties at the moment sort of ragtag bag all pulling different ways so you know what is the conservative party 
So moving on to Northern Ireland, Michal, uh, we're recording this at four o'clock. There is a deadline tonight of it's midnight um, going into Friday uh, when the Northern Irish Secretary has repeatedly said he's going to call an election. What's the feeling in the Irish government? Do they think, do they think there will be an election before Christmas? Well, I think there was some hope and while there is still some hope, I think there is a belief in Dublin that this election is unnecessary and even though an election is the ultimate democratic act, I think that the view clearly within government and across the opposition is that not setting up an executive is essentially a denial of democracy and that the election will uh, become even more divisive uh, and that there's no that it's not beneficial. At the same time, you do have those kind of talks between the Taoiseach and the new British Prime Minister last night, which were warm, spoke about a strong relationship between the countries and talked about a negotiated outcome uh, around the protocol. I mean, is what's happening there just happening too late to avoid that election? Or is there some way uh, of, of delaying it to allow those talks to take shape? As of this moment, it doesn't seem so. Yeah, I mean, I think it is a peculiar one. Um, Just this desire of the Northern Secretary to precipitate an election. What is to gain from that? Um, The downsides would appear to be that it's going to sort of uh, infuse um, the DUP uh, to try and ensure that they get the maximum vote out, that they try and sort of effectively be seen as the party standing up for unism and standing opposed to the protocol. And that doesn't seem to assist anyone uh, in arriving at a solution. It's true to say that it'll be London and Brussels who will resolve this problem ultimately. But in the locale of Northern Ireland, this doesn't seem to have any great benefits. The Northern Secretary could take a much wider uh, view of matters and allow themselves to sort of, you know, adjudicate that maybe, you know, for reasons invented, um, that we could delay it for another while, push it into next year, see if something is going to come out of this warm relationship which seems to be developing between London and Dublin. But um, as far as we can see, you now we're running headlong into it. And one of the things would be is that from the Vox Pop that our colleague Conor McCauley was getting in Belfast, most people didn't want to vote anymore. So you could have an election with a low attendance. What what type of result is that going to be and what benefit is it? I don't see what the benefits are. It's funny, like some TDs around here are saying the prospect of an election here, even if it was here and going on the doorsteps at this particular point with energy costs, with the cost of living generally, uh, that it's hard to see how it would be a, a prospect that any politician would like, especially going to people when the executive wasn't sitting and wasn't delivering. Yeah, although I saw the, was it the Irish Times poll was suggesting that the Irish government had got a bounce, possibly. Uh, suggested bounce as a result of the wall of money coming from the budget. So maybe we could have a Christmas election too. <laughs> oh, perish the thought. So we're moving on to a weekly slot. This is kind of an update we like to do now every seven days. Oh, yeah. So it, it's the Mark McSharry update. Michal, is he back in the fold yet? In yeah, Fianna Fáil? Al- almost. I think the most interesting words from Jack Chambers, the Chief Whip's word to the Parliamentary Party meeting last night was that if Mac McSharry writes to him, and sorts out a few things, well then at the earliest opportunity he would be readmitted to the party. A motion would be put down to welcome him back. Is it all looking a little petty now, maybe? It does, it does. Fianna Fáil are talking about guidelines, though, around that they have for social media and uh, respect and dignity in the workplace. Uh, so Mark McSherry himself has spoken about a WhatsApp group uh, and things he said on that group that has led to, to a complaint. But in the sense of a parliamentary party, uh, and the threshold for be, being part of that and getting yeah. back in, it, it does seem that this is a, a relatively small issue. And I think the, the, the view inside the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party was that there was a conflating of two issues. One was Mark coming back into the Parliamentary Party fold. The second was a complaint 
and the two of them shouldn't necessarily have been joined. There was processes and they were separate processes, but it was up the leadership which was bringing them together. And that isn't Mark McSharry's view. That's the general view. So my sense of it is still that um, they'll get this sorted sooner rather than later, unless... Um, Deputy McSharry decided to, on point of principle, refuse to write back to the chief whip, then who knows where you go. Even though Mark McSharry has written to party headquarters, I mean, there was that three-page letter on this day last week, which is a fair bit of documentation if there there was a will within the higher echelons of the party to move quickly on this. Yeah. Okay, well, that's it for this week on Your Politics. I'd like Sandra, there was one thing I just had to say. I just didn't want the podcast to go without (laughs) noting that the Cahir look of the Shannet and that's Mark Daly, was greatly honoured by the awarding of the Order of Prince Yaroslav the Wise by um, President Zelensky of Some the Ukraine. Some kind of there. Well-known oh, accolade. When those roll. types of things are, I mean... That is big news. Order of Prince Yaroslav the Wise. And who else? Nancy Pelosi got it as well. Right? Some other person got it, yeah. But Nancy Pelosi Mark Daly, and Mark Daly. The Cahir Luck of the Shannon. Okay, you heard it here first. Outgoing Cahir Luck, of course. Not long left. Maybe. Maybe. Putch. Okay, well, thank you to both of my guests. Thank you especially for that, Paul Cunningham, and to Michal Lahan. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. 